0: Drabblecast episode 209. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So Drabblecast listeners who've been with us for over a year or so are well aware of our ongoing fascination with cryptozoology, which we define as the study of badass animals that probably don't exist. Last year, we ran a five part fake nature documentary miniseries entitled In Search of the Mongolian Deathworm, in which our own in house cryptozoologist Connor Chodesworth trekked across the deserts of Mongolia with a loquacious hirsute Mongolian named Nambaran and rock and roll singer Bono, reborn as a prophetic god emperor. If you missed out on the fun, the complete unabridged miniseries is available at Drabblecast B Sides as Episode 9. Simply go to our site, Drabblecast.org, and click on the B Sides link at the top for the feed. For the next few weeks, off and on, we're bringing Connor back for another cryptozoological expedition into the jungles of Kenya in search of a bear that eats brains. So sit back, relax, and listen to the madcap cryptozoological adventure that critics are calling quasi-entertaining. Or skip forward to the next chapter in your mp3 players, it's all good. search of the brain-eating Nandi Bear with Connor Chodsworth. Please make sure that your the ball to the all tray tables, pads in the upright and locked position, and all carry on items are securely stowed for landing. At this time, I ask that all portable electronic devices be turned off. Thank
1: you. You are content to let me shine. That's your way. Sir!
0: Balls! Okay, I'm turning it off. The Duba. The poom poom. The Chimisit. The creature goes by many names. The natives of Kenya sometimes refer to it as Kikamabangwe, meaning Disagreeable Jumbo Squirrel. nigloko, the Brain-Eating Branch Beaver. Or Sabruku, who wants ham. However, in countries that matter where people speak English, it's known by just three simple words or two not counting noun modifiers. The Nondi bear. There are far too many reports of this mysterious bear to simply write it off as widespread myth. The creature is often described as looking like a hyena, but bigger, about the size of a lion or lion-sized hyena. It is said to have a brownish-red to reddish-brown coat, and only come out on the darkest of moonless nights. Some say the creature emits a terrifying howl before going on the hunt. Some say the creature only hunts in packs. Some say, love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a river. Sir, sir, sir. Oh, for God's sakes. Oh, Miss Midler, the wind beneath my wings. The Nandi Bear has been said to prey upon the children and natives of local villages, dropping down from the treetops onto victims and eating their brains like some zombie possum straight out of a Romero film. A redneck Romero film, set in the woods in backcountry Arkansas or somewhere. What? I said out in the woods, that's where zombie woodland creatures would live, right? Stop looking at me funny, Jeff. Just run the goddamn camera. The Nandi bear has eluded both hunters and researchers alike, and to this day remains unclassified by most, if not all, of the scientific community. But all that's about to change. Why? Because like Kobe Bryant and like Roman Polanski, Connor Chodesworth may take a lot of long shots, but he also never takes no for an answer. What? What's going on? Interference? What does he mean emergency? What? Going down? Sweet Mary Mother of Borno. Where's my emergency safety jacket? Jeff, Jeff, you son of a bitch. Give me yours. No. Give it. I said no. Jeff, your wife is cheating on you. Everybody in the office knows it. Mm-hmm. You've got nothing to live for anymore, you fat bastard. Hand over the jackets. No. His Amina. What
1: in the... Wait,
0: wait, I, I don't... I can't comprehend your... No, no, see, that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. None of it makes any sense. For the love of God, woman, stop! I don't understand you! Your boobs are replied to her quickly in Swahili. They are weird. So weird. I've never seen anything like them. They look like floppy PVC pipes. They look like boobs that only a lava lamp could produce. I'm on my knees in the sand, having just survived a massive plane crash, and everything, everything I thought I knew about boobs, my entire boob worldview, it's it's beginning to shift underneath my feet like two massive plates of earth grinding tectonically at the fiery fault lines, reshaping the entire world as I know it, revealing that nothing in this life is as it seems. There are no answers. There are only mysteries. The topless woman stares at me, mouth agape. My Swahili is a bit rusty, I admit. She probably didn't understand me. Your boobs, I say again in Swahili, slowly. They have changed. Everything Sunsay La It is a flower and you it's all sea exciting. All right, so it's summer, and the weirdness is in full bloom outside. This week's show looks at strange fruit, organic, pesticide-free peculiarity straight from Mother Earth herself, manic and menopausal. To get us warmed up, let's bang out a hundred-word story. This week's Drabble comes from Danger Slater, and it's called Porkwood. Danger Slater describes himself as the world's most flammable writer. He's so flammable that he's actually on fire while you listen to this. Seriously. Seriously. are you still there? Go help. His short fictions appeared in online magazines and offline anthologies, and his poetry can be found on many truck stop bathroom walls across the country. His first novel, called Love Me, will be out in summer 2011 from the Jersey Devil Press. For links to his work and more disinformation, please visit his website, dangerslater.blogspot.com. I'm trying to imagine a world where people don't have hooves for hands, where the clouds aren't made of lard and the soil isn't fat, where bacon doesn't staple the hills to the horizon and the pink fleshy sunset isn't setting fire to the sky. Is there such a place where the rivers aren't blood and the oceans not tripe and the screams of the porkwood trees won't keep me up at night? As my chainsaw rips through the forest meat, I scoff at myself for entertaining such a stupid thought. It's all just fantasy. And this is real life. This is the real life, right? Hmm. Our feature story this week is called Baby Head, and it comes to us from Aaliyah Whiteley. Aaliyah's first two novels are available from Macmillan Press, she's currently working on her third. She lives in Bedfordshire in the UK, and keeps a blog about the vegetables mentioned in classic novels at veggiebox.blogspot.com. You can also find it by typing in Toy Story Sucks into Google. You really can, I tried it, and that's hilarious. The story is read to you by Veronica Giguere. Veronica's a voiceover artist whose foreign to podcasting and audiobooks began with the sci-fi series The Secret World Chronicle. Her smooth voice, animated delivery, and quick characterization of the characters has earned her accolades from reviewers on sfaudio.com and the SF site. While she continues to work with The Secret World Chronicle series, she currently narrates the new Edward Clark fantasy novel The Ballad of Iron Percy. So without further ado, we bring you *Babyhead* by Aaliyah Whiteley.
1: Cynthia couldn't explain what she'd just seen in the vegetable patch. She didn't want to look again. She considered going back into the house, crawling back into bed with Mikey, and putting it down as a beer-inspired dream. But that pinkish dome with the fuzzy down had felt soft under her fingers, and there had been the smell of manufactured newness, like a dusting of talcum powder wafting up to her nostrils as she had pulled the coarse outer leaves of the cabbage apart. And there had definitely been a face, scrunched up, tiny eyes shut tight, mouth folded in on itself like a bud. She put her gardening gloves back on, crouched down, and looked at the top of the cabbage again. The baby's head was still there. It nestled between the thick caterpillar-munched leaves that had begun to peel back in the sun. She could see the curve of the skull, the two delicate ears, even the soft spot on the top, the fontanelle. The word came to her from holding her sister's baby, little Rosalie, years ago, and her sister's warning about the bones not yet having fused together. Pulling back the leaves further to see the face clearly, it struck sin that this baby looked very much like Rosalie had back then. Or perhaps all babies looked alike. Except, she reminded herself, this wasn't a baby. She patted the earth around the base of the cabbage, It was moist from the rain the night before and packed tight nobody had touched it a cat meowed close by a thin sound sin jerked up her head and scanned the garden trying to pinpoint it after a moment she realized it was coming from the head the little mouth opened and closed a purple tongue emerged and quivered as the head cried sin ran back to the house She took the stairs two at a time and flung open the door of her darkened bedroom. It smelled of beer and sweat. Mikey was a curled-up lump in the crumpled duvet, with nothing visible but the thick brown hair on the top of his head, forming a clumped wedge from the gel that had yet to be washed away. She sat next to him and pulled back the duvet. He screwed up his eyes and curled into a tight ball. Ten more minutes... There's a thing in my cabbages. He coughed. What, like a slug? No, I can't explain it. Come and see. What? It's a head. You have to get up. He opened his eyes and frowned at her. Maybe he hadn't heard her correctly. In a minute. Now. Now. She pushed the duvet onto the floor, and he grumbled and flailed his skinny white limbs before admitting defeat. Sin watched him shrug on his t-shirt and jeans from the night before, feeling a mixture of annoyance and gratitude. Ending up in bed with him again had not been part of her plan for the evening, but at least it meant somebody else was around to help her decide what to do. She couldn't begin to imagine how she would have dealt with it alone. She followed him down the stairs and then took the lead across the lawn, past the roses she so carefully maintained and the clematis that climbed the supports of her swing seat. Dread permeated the quiet joy of her private space, her sanctuary, as Mikey stomped along behind her, and she approached the vegetable patch once more. She stopped at the edge of the grass, where the straight lines of the soil began, and pointed into the cabbages. There. Which one? The fourth in from the left on the second row. No, the right fourth in from the right. Just show me, he said, in a tone which made her certain that breaking up with him would be the right thing to do, if only she could get round to it. She shuffled forward, as close as she dared to stand, and caught a glimpse of the peachy head through the veined leaves. She put one hand to her mouth and pointed more vigorously with the other. Right. He bent down and roughly pulled apart the outside of the cabbage. Then he stopped, suddenly, and she heard his breathing, hard, over the hum of the main road past the fields beyond her fence. At least the baby had stopped crying. Not a baby, she reminded herself, as Mikey took his fingers slowly away from the cabbage. Jesus, he said. He turned his head to one side and spat a fat white glob that landed in the soil. She fought down the urge to be sick. It's not alive, is it? she said. It's moving its mouth. It was crying earlier. He patted the earth around the base of the cabbage, just as she had done, pressing his hands into the soil. It's not been touched. No. Should we call someone? It must be buried in that. He slipped his fingers around the bottom of the leaves and gave a quick tug. I don't think you should, she said. But he grasped it firmly and put effort into his tugging until she heard the roots begin to give and saw the soil lift just a little. The cracked whining of the head started up once more, pitiful, painful to hear. "'Stop!' "'She hit his shoulder blades with the flat of her hands "'until he sat back on his haunches and looked up at her, "'his eyebrows raised. "'She pushed past him and knelt down to look into the baby's face. "'The eyes were open, a clouded blue, "'and its puckered lips were filmy with blood. "'It cried and coughed and a trickle of blood ran from its mouth, "'over its chin. "'You've heard it! Call someone!' "'Like who?' I don't know an ambulance," she said, but he didn't move, and neither did she. The coughing got worse, and turned to gasping. The face changed color as she watched to a bluish white, and then it stopped trying to breathe at all. The eyes rolled backwards, and the tongue, now turning black, protruded from the bloody mouth at an awkward, unnatural angle. Mikey bent down and snatched up the cabbage, flinging earth into the air as he wrenched it free. "'then tucked it under his arm and marched away from the house "'to the fence at the end of the garden. "'Sin watched him go, saw him throw it, hard, "'into the rough ground that formed a barrier between her house "'and the field that the farmer used for sugar beets. "'Then he came back, stopped in front of her, "'and looked at her forehead, not meeting her eyes. "'Right,' he said. "'What did you do?' dealt with it but what if I don't know all right he said animals will eat it it'll be gone in a few hours there's loads of things around here that will clear it up I've got to get going where she asked his back as he walked away then she remembered that she didn't care anymore she thought about going to the fence looking over it, but instead pushed Earth into the hole left by the uprooted cabbage with her toe, and pressed down with her foot, until it looked like nothing had ever grown there at all. When she got into bed that night, it still smelled of Mikey. She wished she'd remembered to change the sheets and air the room, but hadn't gotten further than lying on the sofa watching whatever came on the television that required no thought after he left. Sin flipped over the pillow and hit it with the flat of her hand, then lay back and tried to find sleep. It wouldn't come. Out in the dark, she heard singing. She got up, walked over to the window, and twitched back the curtain just a little to give her a view of the garden and beyond nothing moved it was a still night the sky a dark blue with faint streaks of purple remaining from the late sunset in the distance the trees rose up together and the farmer's field stretched out in patterned ridges the garden was no different than usual the swing seat did not move the clematis and the roses sat dormant waiting for the morning the runner beans curled around their poles and the cabbages squatted in the earth drawing nourishment into their thick-veined leaves. It was singing. Somewhere out there where she couldn't see it, it was singing strange words, baby words between sense and nonsense, in the darkness, alive and bleeding into the soil. She dropped the curtain, ran down the stairs, through the kitchen, out into the warm night. The cold grass tickled her bare feet. At the bottom of the garden, she climbed over the fence, caught the hem of her nightdress on a nail, fell, and scrambled on her hands and knees to the edge of the field. The singing faded, petered away into silence. She searched the field until it was too dark to see her hands moving over the soil. There was nothing. The baby did not sing again. Sin stepped into the bar and scanned it until she spotted him at one of the back tables, straddling the bench seat with one pint in his hands and another lined up in front of him. He was with the usual group from his office. They were laughing at something. She could tell from the way his shoulders moved that he was laughing too, even though his back was to her. The music was too loud and the room too crowded for her. She phoned in sick, spent all week at home, listening out for only one sound. To be surrounded by voices was nearly too much for her, but Sen fought down her panic and wound her way through the crowds to stand behind him. She tapped him on the shoulder, and when he turned around to look up at her, his smile fell away. I need your help, she said. Oh yeah? I can't sleep. "'It keeps making noises.' "'What does?' "'At first, she wasn't sure she'd heard him correctly. "'But from the way he was looking at her with hostile eyes, his chin set, "'she began to understand the situation. "'You know what?' she said. "'No, I don't.' "'You getting around in, sin? said one of his friends, Graham, the tall one. "'No.' she told him. "'If you're not drinking, there's no point in being here,' said Mikey, with a smirk to his friend, who pulled amused, complicit faces back. She crouched down in front of her and put her mouth up close to his ear. He always had nice ears, small for a man, with soft flesh and delicate lobes. "'Please don't do this,' she whispered. "'It's still alive.' I need you to help me find it. I've spent nights out there. He turned his face into hers so he could whisper back. You know what you should do? What? Move house. He sat back away from her, and Sin stood up and walked away, pushing back through the laughter and the shouting and the spilling of beer. Outside the pub, she waited for a while, in the warm yellow light from the doorway of the fish and ship shop outside, but Mikey didn't come out. If he had, she didn't know what she would have said anyway. She didn't leave the house again. She spent all her time outside, in the tent she'd put up by the vegetable patch. The singing came and went, She'd stopped trying to find it. Instead, she listened and sometimes shouted out how sorry she was over the field. And she watched the cabbages with their roots still deep in the soil. It happened at the end of the summer. She hadn't been to work in months and they'd stopped paying her. It didn't matter. Not when she woke up, crawled out of her tent, and saw those dusky pink curves emerge from the leaves and open their eyes for her. Sin counted them. Seven. Seven little baby heads, all perfect, all nestled in the cabbages, little mouths, little tongues, tiny little noses. It was impossible to tell them apart, but she supposed it would come to her in time, the differences that made them unique. Darlings, she said. She knelt down amongst them and stroked their heads, their eyes, their peachy cheeks. Her body responded to the soft smell of them. She felt her womb and her heart expanding with love. The voice reached her from the field. It sang strange words, clear in the dawn, and the blind blue eyes of the new ones turned in its direction as one. The singing grew louder. She stood up, climbed over the back fence, and followed it to the field. This time she found the head. In the rows of sugar beets, buried under a seething mass of worms and flies, with its eyes eaten and the sockets sunken with maggots, with a ragged, writhing hole where its lips and tongue should be. Still it sang on. Sin picked it up, brushed off as many of the insects as she could, and carried it back to the others. She sat cross-legged in the middle of the cabbage patch and held it in her lap, against her abdomen, stroking it, hoping it knew how much she wanted it. The other babies listened to the song. The dawn turned into daylight, clear and hot and strong, And they began to sing, too, as clear as birds, as sweet as spun sugar. How perfect they all were, singing together, singing in harmony, singing in joy. Sin lay down in the dirt and let their song impregnate her.
0: Every newborn seed. There's a dying voice within me, reaching out somewhere, toiling in the danger and in the marvels of despair. That was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie, folks, this one freaked me out a little bit. Something about babies singing in the woods at night. Or more accurately, everything about babies singing in the woods at night. Also, handling a baby is innately a little scary and awkward for anybody who doesn't do it regularly. I think Aaliyah really tapped into that uncomfortable horror that goes along with clumsily or forcefully handling something delicate, be it infants in the crib or seedlings in the ground. Or infants in the ground. Knowing and not knowing are such powerful things in storytelling, aren't they? You gotta have both, but it's all about the proportion. For me, this story hit on just the perfect amount of what the hell to make it eerie as hell. So hey, if you like this week's story, or last week's story, or you're really looking forward to next week's story, consider dropping us a donation, huh? Go to Drabblecast.org, click on any of our donation links. We use the money to pay authors for their work and other things essential to the show's production, like Bet Midler tickets, We really appreciate and rely on your support, folks. And a big shout-out and thank you to this week's Kick-Ass Donor of the Week. Jonathan Howell. Jonathan labors during the day under the banner Technical Wizardry, a systems consulting firm specializing in information technology for healthcare, construction, and hospitality industries. During his rare off hours, he participates in a ritualistic dance team called the Morris Dancers, races sailboats in the San Francisco Bay, and rides his bicycle the length of California to support AIDS research. Nice. He lives in a sleepy corner of Martinez, California with his lifelong love and her daughter, and some chickens, and a new, not-yet-picked-out puppy. Oh, you don't have to name him Norm, Jonathan, no pressure there, no pressure at all. We really appreciate the support, Jono, you the man. Alright, Twabble Twitfic winner this week, let's get down to it. Twabbles are stories exactly 100 characters in length, not counting spaces. We've got an ongoing contest going on each week in our discussion forums, where we pick the winner out from. Give it a shot. Head over to our forums, linked off the travelcast.org site. It's a lot of fun. This week's winner goes to Joshua Doach, or Nevermore66. Here it goes. My doctor told me what to do. He said, Ooh, E. Ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. I realized I was suffering a stroke.
1: I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told nice.
0: If you do Twitter, remember to follow Jabalcast at the Jabalcast. Alrighty, folks, that's it for this week. Remember, the Travelcast is brought to you with a Creative commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Johan Lindrus. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of Associate Editor Matthew Bay, a lion-sized hyena, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, it's all just fantasy.
1: (laughs)